Thank you, Maddie. This weekend for us uh, and our family was a weekend. Uh, I didn't know this going into it, but it was a weekend of projects. Anybody ever get blindsided with it's like, oh, there's not any sports happening, so here's this long list of projects that you have been putting off. Can any, any dude relate to that? Wow, okay, a couple of y'all. Yeah, so yesterday um, was the time for me to fix a lot of our problems. Cody had put something on the list about eight weeks ago. Our washer machine went out, they came and they replaced it, and uh, everything was great, but then there started being a leak on our hot water right at about eight weeks ago. So like, it, we couldn't wash our clothes, our towels with hot water. And it was one of those, like all along, I just kept saying, hey, listen, I can fix this, babe. It's all right, I'll get to it. It's not that hard. It's just gonna take me a few minutes. Well, that was eight weeks ago. Yesterday was the day. It's time to tackle the hot water she's been nagging me in a gracious way. I shouldn't even say the word nagging. She's been very patient with me. Yesterday was the day I went to Lowe's. I got all of my supplies, and Cody, at this time, we get back, and she's like, hey, you sure you don't want to call your dad? Like, you sure you you don't want to call him? And I was like, hey, I've, I've got this. She's like, what about Josh Rogers, general contractor? Good friend. Why don't don't you call Josh? Maybe he can come over and help. And the whole time I'm like, hey, babe, I've got this. So I went down to the street. I turned off our water. I went in and started fixing the issue. And let me tell you, I I got it fixed. I'm on this side of it, and I just tell you I got it fixed. End of story. But there's some backstory there. Uh... I got it fixed, but not before there's about eight to 10 just sopping wet towels all over the laundry room. Water, at one point, Cody walks in and water is spraying all over my face, wearing glasses. You know know this is a real thing. I can't see a thing. I'm like trying to put on this fitting. The water's off, but there's still enough water in the line that as I'm squeezing this fitting on, the water is just shooting out all over my face. I can't see a thing, Cody walks in and graciously is just kind of like, you good? Oh yeah, babe, I got this, I got this. Let me just say, yesterday I was humbled, okay? I was humbled, I was brought low. It was a very humbling experience because I've done a lot of projects along the way. I've done a lot of construction with my dad who was a general contractor for years. I worked for him. We've built houses together. I've done a lot. I knew what I needed to do. However, in all of my knowledge, in all of my experience, in all of my strength, and all of my pride, I was humbled yesterday. And I'm happy to say, because I know y'all are wondering, our hot water is hooked back up to our washing machine, but it came with a pretty humbling expense of myself, of my pride. Humility would have said, hey, Matt, you're in over your head. Like, I would have listened to my bride and said, you're right. Josh, can you come over? Can you help me take a look at this? Or Dad, can we plan a time and you come up and help me with this? It also would have led me to humbly say, babe, you were right. So in front of all of you, babe, you were right. I should have called for help. But pride blinded me. right? Like, it blinded me from seeing the need that was right in front of me. I wanted to prove to her that I could do this and I didn't need anybody's help. 
And honestly, her approval was more enticing to me than having the hot water work. Like the hot water is a bonus, but, but really what I wanted, I was seeking just her approval to prove a point like I can do this. I told you I would, I can do this. You know, as we've been reading through uh, the, the story of Judges, specifically the rest of Samson's story, I've been praying a lot about the text this week. There's a lot of different directions we could have gone, but here's what I keep coming back to. It's not a new idea. It's not even my original thought, but I've heard this over and over and over again in my life, that it's better to be humble than to be humbled. Raise your hand if you've ever heard that. It's better to be humble than to actually go through the process of being humbled. Samson As we've seen, he was not lacking in the pride department. He had plenty of it for all of us to go around. We've seen his impulsive behavior. We've seen how he's led with an anxious presence along the way in his leadership and how he even just lived his own life. And he couldn't even seem, as we saw last week, to do the next right thing, which was to humble himself and run back to the Father. That was the next right thing for him to do last week, but pride had blinded Samson from seeing his need. And it's here, unfortunately, that we see Samson hit rock bottom. We've seen the nation of Israel over and over again. They, they, They find themselves in this judges cycle. We've had it on the screen most weeks, but now our personal God, so that's like the cycle for Israel. Now, our personal God, Yahweh, gives us a glimpse at a very personal experience with the cycle. It's not just for the nation. It's now Samson's cycle and the tension that it creates. And the tension is this. We've talked about it over and over. God is faithful. He says he will never break his covenant, but God also is a holy God. And he says, if you continue to compromise with these nations. That's to the nation of Israel. I think he's turned and he's now looked at Samson and he says, hey, if you continue to go down this path and compromise with the lustful desires of your heart, all of your pride and arrogance, if you continue to do that, then I'm not going to drive out those idols in your heart. And so God does the same with Samson. He leaves Samson for what his heart desired most. Asleep on his lover's lap, as you look back from, as we ended verse 20 last week, Samson awakes to the Philistines. Only this time, he's unable to shake himself free. Why? Because his head has been shaved. And the Lord, as we see in verse 20, has left him. Now, let's not miss this. Samson didn't lose. I need you to to, to track with me. Kiddos, if you're listening and you're like, well, God... You know, they shaved his head, and I guess that's where all of his power came from. Samson didn't lose his power because his hair had been cut. That's only part truth. It's true, but it's not the full truth. The real reason Samson lost his power was this. God chose to leave Samson to his own strength. God chose to just say, okay, buddy, this is what you want. Here you go. God chose to leave Samson to his own strength, or better yet, to his own weakness. He had grown so complacent over time, so dependent on his own strength that he refused to fully trust Yahweh. He refused to. 
His lust had totally enslaved him and he grew to desire the love of women instead of the love of the Father. And this lustful desire in his heart, it's what blinded him to the goodness and to the grace of God. And we see this, the, the tension of the cycle. It's, it's building in his life. His self-reliance brought about complacency over and over again from the honey with the lion to sleeping with the prostitute, to doing what he wants. And here's the irony of the story. Samson, chosen by Yahweh, never treasured the gift of the strength that God had given him. He grew dependent upon himself because he had the spirit of God. He assumed that God was going to bless him. Well, I've got the spirit of God. My parents told me that. We live in this Nazarite view. I broke the, the law. God still continues to give me this strength. I, I guess he assumed God would continue to bless him. He viewed his gift as a license to do whatever he wanted, whatever he wanted, including sin. His joy was not in the gift of God's power and presence. His joy for Samson was in what the power could get him. And then the irony is, is, so that's Samson. Then you have the Philistines, as lost as ever. You have this beautiful gift of strength that God gives Samson. And the Philistines, as lost as ever, never unwrapped the gift in front of them. They saw the strength. They never desired that. Living of the world full of darkness, they worshipped all sorts of gods except for Yahweh. And so looking through almost like a a magical lens, they viewed his God-given power as something to be achieved. That's why they wanted Samson. They wanted to to try to achieve, to figure out where his strength came from. But y'all, God's power doesn't work like that. Like there's no divine power of the spirit without a transformed heart in Jesus. Let me say that again. There's no divine power of the Spirit of God without an actual transformed heart in Jesus and his divine power, the power that can take dead hearts and make them alive is a gift to be treasured. The gospel of God's grace to you is a gift to be treasured. So I wonder why we think God will bless us. Like, I, I wondered that all week. Like, why do we get to a point in our life, and I ask you, why do you think God will bless you? If you're a Christian, why do you think he's going to bless you? It's easy to look at Samson, but I want us to look at the Philistines. I'm not sure we're much different than the Philistines at times. Like, though we would say, I don't believe in magic, right? Like, they thought that his power came from some magical thing. They were worshiping the gods of this land, lots of darkness, lots of uh, mysterious things, mystical things, and they assumed his, his strength was magic. So I, I don't think anybody in here would say, yeah, I believe in magic, but we certainly might view God through a magical lens as something, his power, his presence to be achieved. I think there's a lot of folks convinced that God's going to just bless us only when we do the right thing. Like, think about that. When you say the right thing, 
He will bless me when I follow the right rules. Through this magical lens, we look at God and think, well, yeah, when I live right and make less mistakes, then he's going to bless me. Or maybe if I go to church more, he'll bless me. Maybe if I read my Bible every day and not miss a day, then at that point, he will bless me. Maybe if I pray more, maybe if I actually give more to the church, if we do all of these things, then maybe through this lens, if that's how you view God, then maybe you're going to be blessed and strengthened by God. And that might happen, just to be very clear. I think uh, we've seen over and over again, the faith of Samson doesn't mean that he automatically was obedient to God's word, and God still blessed him. He can use sinner, and he can also still work through your sin. So it might happen, but that is a mechanical way of following Jesus. It's totally dependent upon you, and that means that God's love towards you is conditional. Meaning, if you believe the Father will only love you, He will only bless you if you do these things, that's not a gift to be treasured. That's a gift that you got to earn. Y'all, the beauty of the gospel is that God offers you a personal relationship with Him. He takes the first step. He meets you in your sin and in all of your shame and in all of your suffering. And he says, I want you. I know everything. And I still desire you. He says, I died for you. And all I want is for you to just come and follow me. That's the gift to treasure. You get him. All of him. He doesn't dangle things in front of you and say, if you do this, then I'll show up more. No, no, no. You have his powerful presence with you. All of it. And then the do's and the don'ts, the checkbox list, if you want to look at it like that, of the things that I do for the Lord the growing in Christ-likeness and holiness to look more like Jesus, that all flows from a heart of love, from a dependence on him. You see, there's no divine power of the Spirit without a transformed heart in Jesus. And so as the story continues, we see Samson, he's unable to escape the Philistines. He's captured. And instead of killing him, what do they do? Well, they they turn and they, they mock him. They shame him. They actually gouge out his eyes. Now, I can't imagine that, the dude living through that. This isn't like, hey, just wear this eye patch so you can't see. It's not like pin the tail on the donkey and they turned you around with a a blindfold on. Like The dude's eyes were gouged out. This is not a surgery with very sanitized, uh, you know, surgeons operating and taking your eyes out. They gouged his eyes out. I'm sure that was painful. Ironically, he's given his eyes to everyone but the Lord. He's seen, he's wanted, and all along he's taken. And he is a spiritually blind person along the way, and he now becomes physically blind. 
a spiritually weak person along the way, and now he's physically weak. Enslaved to the culture all around him, now he becomes a slave in the flesh. And they force him into slavery. Samson's life, y'all, if you remember, was meant to crush the stronghold that the Philistines had over God's people. And now, blind, physically abused and enslaved, he's crushing and grinding grain in the mill every day. No longer crushing the Philistine stronghold. He's he's working. He's enslaved. He's crushing grain in the mill in prison all day. So the impulsive, selfish, and unbeatable Samson has been brought low. I'm thankful for my laundry room experience yesterday that that's what it took for me to be brought low and not the story of Samson. Undoubtedly, this is the lowest point of his life. I think for the first time in his life, there's nowhere else to turn. He can't run back to his father as he has before. He has no woman to turn to, to chase after. His strength has departed, and much worse, so has the Lord's presence. He has been humbled. Now, that's a lot. But I think the reason I'm, I'm so passionate, like last week just talking about sexual sin and, and, and fleeing and, and stop flirting with sin, I think the reason I'm so passionate about us being a church, a family that says we're going to fight sin, we're going to put sin to death, we're going we're to start fleeing from it, is because I don't want to see any of us brought so low because of our blindness. But that's some of our stories, right? Like I, I know some of your stories. You know mine. Brought low. And I'm sure you've gone through some dark seasons where you were brought low, where you were humbled. Can I just encourage each of us this morning? Like maybe you are in that season right now. Lowest of lows. It is in his kindness that he actually leads us to repentance. And repentance flows from a heart of humility. The humiliation that Samson was facing is actually what, actually what allowed him to be led into repentance. Samson's story doesn't always have to be your story. Humble yourself and run to Jesus quickly and often. Keep short sin accounts with your spouse. Be humble before one another. Doesn't have to be your story. And even if you're led down a path of humbling, remember that in the season of darkness that we see right here for Samson, the father never turned his back on him. He never turned his back on him. We read that the spirit had left him. That doesn't mean that God turned his back on him. Instead, Yahweh actually draws near to him. It might look different, but he draws near to him. In his loneliness, in his fear, he draws near to him. Why? Because God's not done. Samson's still breathing. He ain't done. If you're breathing, he's not done with you this morning. And we see in the story, his hair begins to grow back. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us how long that this went on, but it is clear that we see Samson's faith 
begin to be renewed. And so at this point, the Philistines, they were unbothered. He's enslaved to them. They're getting what they want. They're unbothered. They're unaware of the implications of Samson's hair beginning to grow back. They viewed his, remember, they viewed his power from like this magical lens. They assumed that his magic could no longer be earned or achieved. Thus, there's no point in keeping his head shaved. He's lost it. We don't have to worry about his hair. He's lost it. In regards to the Philistines, author Michael Wilcock, he says this. The Philistines knew nothing of the God who does the unexpected, whose strength is made perfect in weakness. Think about Gideon, Ehud, previous judges, and who never breaks his word. They knew nothing about what God had said. Chapter 13, verse 7, Samson would be a Nazarite to the day of his death. They didn't know that. So Yahweh's sense of abandonment of his servant could not be temporary, could not but be temporary. The promise was bound to hold, however Samson might despise it. There is grace abounding to the chief of sinners. Second Timothy, Paul says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. The Philistines only knew the conditional and mechanical view of viewing gods. Like that's all they knew in their culture. And their gods in their culture could be manipulated. If I do this or if I sacrifice to this, then this God, the God of rain will do this. The God of fertility will give me children. If I do all of these things, but the God of the Bible is a God of grace. He is a God who remains faithful even when we are unfaithful to him. He's not limited to the Nazarite vow that Samson's parents made on on his own behalf. So his hair growing back is not for us to look at this and say, well, I guess he's going to be strong again. His strength lies in the length of his hair. Instead, we should look at this and we should praise God that his power is at work and it's not contingent upon our obedience. Let me say that again. We should look at this not as if, oh, well, he's going to have his power back because his hair is growing. We should actually look at this and praise God that his power is not contingent upon your own obedience. He is faithful. He said he would do something. He is faithful to do it. Praise God. And why do we know that? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 says this. It's the <clears throat> hall of fame of, of faith, if you will. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. We've talked about him as a judge. Barak as a judge. Samson? Samson's listed in this? I mean, we've done nothing but knock Samson for four weeks. I mean, just picked him apart for four weeks, and yet... What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, or of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Were, hear me, made strong out of a weakness. Become mighty in war. Put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Samson, of all the people, in all of his sinfulness and pride and impulsive behavior, is named as an example of those who, through faith, were made strong out of weakness. Like this was the turning point for Samson. In his weakness, in his blindness, he finally began to have, hear me, this is the irony, in his blindness, he finally began to have the right view of God and his sin. That is humility. A right view of who God is and a right view of what our, son ha- or what our sin has done. That's the gospel call. Not to be strong, but to come to the Lord. Instead, it's to acknowledge your weakness and to actually just put your hope in Jesus. And the scripture says, and you will be saved. Then, as you're saved, you will find your strength because it's the Spirit. It's the Spirit that makes you strong. So just to to kind of zoom out and and thinking about closing here, instead of looking at at this as Samson versus the Philistines, like we can look at that. It'd be real easy for us to read that. Let's take a step back, though, and acknowledge what the narrator actually might be showing us. As we've seen, this cycle gets worse with time. God isn't just saving his people from their oppressors. Yahweh is actually, I said this a few weeks ago, saving saving them from themselves. It's not just now, how how is God going to intervene and save them from those who are oppressing the Israelites? Now, it's about how God is going to save us, the Israelites, from themselves. And I said this, he's divorcing them from the idolatry of their hearts. That's what he's doing. Like this is more than Samson versus the Philistines. This is Yahweh about to crush the pride of his people and the gods of this culture. All the Philistine leaders we see are gathered. They begin to worship who? Their God, Dagon. The false God of their culture. Samson's God, according to them, has abandoned him. So they think. They feel like they've won. For whatever amount of time, they're mocking Samson, belittling him. Where is your God, Samson? And it seems as if Dagon has been victorious. The leaders, Scripture tells us, are assembled. And they're crying out, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. They bring the blind and failed rescuer out. And they force him to entertain. At this point, culturally speaking, it's very clear. This is a celebration. I'm sure there was lots of drinking, over-drinking, drunkenness. And so they're like, hey, bring out our, our captive. Make him entertain. Show us your strength, Samson. Samson asks, blind, he's led by, I don't know, a young man. 
he asks to be led over to the pillars so he can lean up against something. Right hand, left hand. And with all the Philistine leaders and rulers, well over 3,000 people gathered at the statue of their worthless god, Dagon, ready to not mock the name of Yahweh. It's here we see Samson cry out. We've had four chapters dedicated to this guy, to the life of Samson. We've seen him pray now for the, only the second time. Blind and weak, powerless, Samson, perhaps for the first time, cries out in faith. Remember, he cried out after the jawbone. He was just thirsty. He just killed a thousand dudes with a jawbone. He just wanted, God, you going to let me just suffocate here? Can you give me some water, please? Now it seems like he cries out in faith. Oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. Oh, God, please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now, we might look at this, I think it's okay, based off of his track record, as a vengeful request. I think it's easy to get there. There's no request to save Israel, right? Just revenge for his eyes. But at this point, Samson had been totally humbled. And I think he recognizes that God just isn't the God of Israel, but he's now a personal God. He's the saving, covenantal, relational God. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Samson was a man of faith. And based on, on what we have read, this seems to be the one place where Samson goes all in on following Yahweh. We don't have any other account. So if it says it in Hebrews 11, we have to assume that he's all in on following Yahweh for the first time. They were made strong out of their weakness, is what the author of Hebrews said. Samson was humbled and he prays, strengthen me once more. When our hope is in ourselves, we become weak and enslaved. When our hope is in Jesus, it's unwavering. It's anchored. It's full of life and it's full of wisdom. Samson, his whole life, he lived a life pursuing the gods of the culture. And in the end, we finally, we see he finally acknowledged his strength is in the Lord. God, please strengthen me. The final scene of Samson, his death is the most important moment of his life. Like it's the most triumphant moment of his life. Why? Because he carries out God's plan to rescue his people. Just as Yahweh had promised Samson's mother back in chapter 13, Samson took hold of the supporting pillars of the temple. He leaned against them and he cried out, let me die with the Philistines. Scripture says he pushed with all of his might in the temple fell on the leaders and all the people in it. And those he killed at his death were more than those he had killed in all his life. All of this is a foreshadowing of the better judge. The real hero that we all need. God already had showed us through the, the story of judges that he could be victorious with a, an army of willing people. We've seen that. He'd already shown that he could save his people with as few as 300 men, and he didn't even need them. And as powerful and as the powerful spirit of God comes upon Samson one last time, Yahweh shows 
that he could actually deliver his people with one. Samson's death in the bigger picture, however, only fulfilled just a limited rescue for God's people. His death began, remember, that was the the promise. His his death began the deliverance. Jesus' death accomplished once and for all, 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Samson and Jesus, both betrayed. Look at this. We talked about his birth. Remember the narrator gave us a, uh, an insight to the angel of the Lord appearing to the mom. Your child's going to be set apart. Look at his, his death. Samson betrayed by Delilah. Jesus betrayed by Judas. Both handed over to Gentile oppressors. Both tortured and chained and put on public display for the only purpose of being mocked. Both asked to perform, though out of total humility and obedience to the Father, Jesus refused. Both died with outstretched arms. I love that. God gave us his word. Both arms outstretched. You have this, this foreshadowing of the temple crumbling down. Both appeared struck down by their enemies. Both in their death crushed their enemy. We saw Samson, because of this, he crushed the Philistines. He crushed the god of Dagon. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. Samson brings the temple crumbling down around the statue of Dagon and all of the Philistines, their spiritual power has been broken at this point. Exactly what God had wanted to accomplish. Samson had brought alienation, division between culture and his people. But it's only through the cross where Jesus was mocked and what Paul says in Colossians Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and he disgraced them publicly in his death and resurrection. He triumphed over them in him. How? The cross took away the judgment of our sin, the power of sin, and gave way to the spirit to live in us, to break the chains of any enslavement that you find yourself in today. Any idols of your heart that you just are enslaved to, Christ died to break them, to crush them. So while the story of Samson begins with a strong man who is revealed to be weak, it actually ends finally with a weak man who is stronger than he ever was. For real, in closing, this is the gospel. Like this... This is the beauty of the gospel family. This is, this is the way of humility. Jesus became weak only to become strong. Samson's rule was over and he was buried and his story is finished. We've got four more weeks and we close out, maybe five. We close out. With Jesus' burial, the story actually just begins. He rules beyond the grave the one who became weak to save will rule in in mighty strength and power for all eternity. This is the way of Jesus. So Christian, it's okay to become weak. 
only to become strong. Like this is the amazing, radical, unbelievable grace and good news for you. You don't have to work to clean yourself up. You will never be able to to stand in your own strength and accomplish what only the cross accomplishes for you. It's in your weakness you are made strong. So would we as a family learn from the pitfalls of Samson's apparent strength and all of his impulsive behavior? Would we learn from that? And would we run to Jesus, flee from pride, from lust and anger, from our vengeful hearts, flee from a life of complacency and let us run to Jesus? Remember, it's better to be humble than to be humbled. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we have it to learn from, to grow from, to lean into, to ask for clarity and wisdom, to understand love, and to see humility played out. Lord, we have everything we need in your word. Your spirit is alive in it as we read it, as we pray on it, as we sing and hear from your word. Thank you for giving us that. Thank you for the story of Judges. Thank you for the story of Samson that we can learn. We're on this side of things. Our story doesn't have to be one where we're, we don't know any difference. So I guess we're just going to keep walking headlong into our sin and, and feeding the lust of our, of our pride, our flesh. Instead, we can look from this and we can learn our story doesn't have to be like Samson. Lord, would you help us? Jesus, our ultimate judge, would we remember that it's through your life, death, and resurrection that you are victorious for every sinner that calls upon the name of Jesus. You will save. And the victory that Samson could never guarantee, the victory that we as Christians, as sinners and saints, can never guarantee Jesus has guaranteed it for us. So, Lord, would you help us today to have a right view of ourselves, of who you are and what our sin has done? Lord, would you help us to practice humility by losing ourselves in the shadow of the cross? call to following you is, is to lose ourself in the shadow of what the cross represents. Help us, Lord. And then out of humility, would we humbly serve? Not because we have to, but because we understand what Mark 10 45 says, when even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the call for us, to every day come and die, take up our cross and to follow you. 
That's not some dreaded mission. That's a beautiful adventure you've called us into. More powerful than any sin, more powerful than any enemy, we have your spirit that leads us. And so, Lord, this moment, would you powerfully lead in whatever way you need to do that?